guys can be seated. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit, a little bit differently today. Um, thank you guys up here for leading us. Um, as they make their way to their seats, I just want to say a couple things um, before we get into this morning. Um, uh, I'm super glad to be back with you guys. It's been, um, I think, three weeks since I preached last, um, and we've had been blessed by having some people come and, and share the word with us. Um, we had uh, Brian from Missio Day and Billy from Coram Deo in Morganton uh, come and just, and just preach for me while I uh, took a couple Sundays off to, to get ready for uh, my Acts 29 assessment, uh, which happened a couple weeks ago, and, um, and it was just, I mean, it was just wonderful. It was fantastic. A couple weeks for me just to come and sit with you guys, um, and so that was really good, but we are starting a new sermon series uh, this morning, so we're going to be in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 1, um, and so we are going to, typically right now what we do is we have uh, some scripture reading where we get into um, the uh, text that we're going to be getting into today. But we're going to do things a little bit differently, and you'll kind of see why as I continue through uh, this morning. And we will still do that, but it'll be towards the end. Um, but what I want to do is kind of just dig into James a little bit and explain who James is um, before we dig into James. So we're only going to look at James chapter 1, verse 1 today. Uh, we'll be in some other scriptures, and, and, and before you freak out, I promise you we'll get through James in a timely manner. We're not just going to do one verse every single week, but this week we're just going to look at one verse, um, and we really want to talk about who this James is, because if you want to get to know someone, uh, one of the best ways to get to know someone is to get to know their family. Um, and so and I think we realize that, right, because it's always like when you're dating someone, it's always a big deal when you meet the family, right? Like that becomes this big kind of stressful thing. I remember meeting Margie's family for the first time was... Uh, incredibly stressful. Uh, they didn't make it super easy. What they did, meeting her family for the first time, I flew from California to Spruce Pine, um, and uh, they decided to host a party and invite all their friends to meet me at once as well. So it's like, I went from knowing no one to like having 30, 40 people in this room. They literally grabbed like this bar stool, set it in the middle, put me on it, and just said, all right, anyone wants to ask any questions, they can. And it was like this really weird strange event that I was not expecting. Um, they asked a lot of questions, like, what are my intentions with Margie? Which is, like, a good, it's a fair, look, I have a daughter, that's a fair question. But, like, in night one of meeting them, it was kind of strange. And so, but that wasn't even her family. That was one of her family's friends. It was Jeff Atkins. Uh, the guy did our premarital counseling, so he's actually good at that. But, so it was this, it was this weird event, and, and, but you get to know the family, you get to know the person. And so I got to know Margie's family, and I got to know Margie a lot better. Um, one of the things that the family knows is they just know who you are. They've seen you for a long time. They've seen you walk through various trials, and they just know you. Um, they know the depths of what you're going through, what you've done. Um, and so as we, as we talk about that, it's really important because one of the things that, Margie, that I learned by getting to know Margie's family is, is something Margie's mom said to me very early on. She said, Zach, I want to warn you, Margie has rebellious bones. I wasn't sure what that meant, um, but she's 100% right, she does. Um, and I, I would learn to, to trust that saying as we got married in the last 11 years. But um, it, didn't, it didn't scare me away, but I learned that, and she was right. And so family just knows us. Family knows who we are. And so what I want to do is I want to talk a little about James, because, and it's not so much about us getting to know James, although I want us to get to know James, but what you'll see today is I want to make the case and I believe that James is Jesus' little brother. And so as we get to know James, 
we will get to know Jesus that much more. That much more. And so as we dig into the life of James and who James is, because there's not a lot, there's not tons written about James, but I want to dig into it and see who this guy is, and then we'll get to know who Jesus is. And so I want us to first read James chapter 1, verse 1 together. Um, and so if you, don't, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, um, and we will read it. It's just one verse, but we'll read that together. And um, it'll also be on the screen. We're going to be kind of all over today, but it'll, most of what we're going to read is going to be up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible. That way you can believe what we're reading is truly from Scripture. So James chapter 1, verse 1. So this is a letter that James himself is writing. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Just a short little verse. He's saying greetings. He's saying he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So who is he writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes. And this is a language we see in the Old Testament. And it's this language about God's chosen people. This is God's people. So the 12 tribes is this idea of he's writing to God's people. Now, it's, it's likely and it's believed by scholars that James, the, the letter that James wrote, this book of James or the letter of James, was one of the first books of the New Testament ever written. So this is written really early on in, in the early church. Jesus, he dies, he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes in, Acts chapter, in, in the beginning of Acts, and, and it just this whole thing kind of blows up. And James writes this letter very early on during that time period. And so most of the people who are Christians at that time are Jewish. And so he's writing this letter to God's people, to, to Jewish people who believe Jesus is the Savior, who believes Jesus is God. So he uses the term, the 12 tribes. And so it's, he's writing to the people of God. James is a senior, we, we read in Acts that he's a senior leader of the early church. He's, a, he's, he's like part, you know, up there as the, as the head of the early church in Jerusalem. We'll talk more about that later. But his position is that Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's ultimate. He's over everything. He's the king, the creator of the universe. He is Lord. He's an authority, high, exalted, and lifted up. And then he says who he, he is at the very beginning. So he, he thinks Jesus is Lord. He's writing to the 12 tribes, and he describes himself as a servant of God. So James is a servant. So you might be wondering why I think he's Jesus' brother, his half-brother, mind you, right? Because Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary, and so he was born of Mary and Joseph. And the reason why I believe that is mostly because James doesn't say he's Jesus' brother, now, that might seem strange, right? Like, I believe he's Jesus' brother because he doesn't say he's Jesus' brother. Well, here's the thing. James doesn't describe who he is because we should know who he is by him telling us he's James. That's the point of him just saying, I'm this, hey, this is James. He's a ser I'm a servant of God the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes. The fact that he doesn't explain who he is is the biggest evidence that this is James because what we do know in Acts is that Jesus' half-brother James is a leader in the church. And so the assumption is, we are making an assumption, we don't know for sure, but it's with like 99% likelihood, this is James, Jesus' brother, because he's not explaining who he is. And so we just take it as, oh, this must be a James that everyone knows. And everyone knows James, Jesus' little brother. And so does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with that? Like, this is James, Jesus' brother, because he doesn't say he's Jesus' brother. We can assume it's Jesus' brother because everyone knows who he is. Like, when I first moved here, no one knew who I was. So I was Zach, Margie's husband. That's who I was. And I had to explain that to everyone. 
Like, guys, like, hey, I'm Zach Mason. They're like, I don't know the last name Mason. You're weird. Like, who are you? Like, oh, I, I married Margie Beaumont. Like, oh, okay, cool. I know who you are. Like, I, I've heard of you. And I had to explain that. Now, after 11 years, finally starting to make a name for myself, I can introduce myself as Zach, and they're like, oh, you're that guy from the Grove. I've heard of you. And then now I'm like, oh, boy, like, what do they know about me? Like, what have they heard? But, like, now people know who I am. And so 11 years. So the fact that I don't no longer have to explain I'm Margie's husband, people can assume that because they've heard of Zach Mason for some reason or another, maybe good or bad. Um, and so that, that's why we think this is James, Jesus' brother. And, and, and it's also just a note of James's humility because he could use that authority, right? Like, I'm Jesus' brother, so you listen to me, but he doesn't. He's humble. He's a servant. He's not just Jesus' family. He's a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to get to know Jesus' family a little bit so we can get to know Jesus better. So we're going to kind of walk through what we know about Jesus' family, what we know about James, and then we'll, we'll kind of end talking a little bit about why this matters for us today. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 3. We preached through Mark as the first thing we did as a Grove family. Um, took us like a year and a half, but we did it. Some of you guys were getting tired of it by the end of it, but we finished. So Mark chapter 3, um, it's going to be up here. We'll be in verse 21, but it'll be up here for you guys as well. Um, but here's what, we, here's what we first start learning some things uh, about Mark, cha- oh, Mark 3, 21. We start learning some things here. So Jesus, he goes, he, he goes home, it says in, in verse uh, 20 and 21, or 20, he goes home, and it says in 21, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So Jesus goes home, he's preaching the gospel, he's talking about things, he's got these disciples, he's preaching, um, he's teaching, he's healing people, his family hears it, and they go to seize him, because they think he's out of his mind. And I want to I just say, like, I get it, right? Like, if you guys have siblings and they're, they're teaching, they're preaching, they're claiming that they're God, like, you probably think they're out of their mind, right? Like, that's just weird. Um, I know if my brother, I've got, I've got an older brother, I've got three older brothers. I think equally, maybe one more than the other two, if they said they were God, I would think, oh, man, they're insane. But he, here's the thing that I love about this, is they're, they're, they, go to, they go to get him. They're not just, like, angry or opposing him. They, they love their older brother. They love their son. So they go to get him for, their, for he's out of his mind. Like, they want to bring him home be like, hell, like, they want to, like, put him in a room and, like, give him some tea, lay him down for a nap. Like, maybe he just hasn't eaten in a while, so he's getting a little crazy. I can get a little crazy if I don't have food in me. And so they're trying to take care of him. They go, they go seize him, bring him home, give him some rest, and care for him. And this is his family. They think he's out of his mind. So we can assume that James, being part of Jesus' family at this point, would, would, would hear this and, and be a part of this, thinking that Jesus, his older brother, is out of his mind. He kept saying he's God. He kept saying he's the king. He kept saying he created the universe. And so James thinks he's out of his mind. Now, I think some of us can resonate with Jesus' family. I may, maybe not out loud, but maybe in our hearts we, like, think, Jesus is this cool guy, he's like, I like him, maybe I even love him, but like, he's not really Lord of my life. I would say he's Lord of my life because I know that's the right thing to say, but he's, I, don't, I don't live like, I don't act like he's Lord of my life. Maybe you're a little bit like Jesus' family and you, you know this person, 
but you have not submitted to the law. Like James later in life will, and we'll see that. You haven't submitted to him and said, he's Lord. I'm, I'm his servant. He is Lord of my life. He's king of his life. Because he, here's the reality. Jesus is king of your life, whether you want him to be or not. Being a Christian is just acknowledging that he is and following him. So they're concerned for him. His family loved him, but they didn't believe him. And we'll turn to uh, Mark chapter 6. So just a couple pages, and we'll, we'll continue on. I believe we'll, uh, Mark 6, we'll pick it up in verse 3. So Jesus is, 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 um, goes to his hometown, and then in verse 3 it says this, um, Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. So Jesus has, Jesus has a lot of brothers. Like this is a big family, right? So he's got some sisters. He's got a mom and dad. At least He's got at least James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon um, as brothers. Are, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, this is verse 4, and among his relatives and in his own household. So Jesus goes home. He's hearing all this stuff, uh, or people are hearing this stuff. They're saying, isn't this the brother of, of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are these not this, aren't his sisters here with us right now? And, and they took offense at him. So Jesus' family was offended by some of the things that he said. Jesus goes out, and he preaches, and he teaches, and he does these miracles, and his family and the people in his hometown are offended by some of the things that he has said. And J what Jesus says here is, is, is that he, 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 when he goes out and he preaches and teaches, other people listen to him, they hear him, they come to him, but his family doesn't. People in his hometown, they don't. They take offense to the things he says, and so they don't, there's no honor for Jesus amongst his family. I, I think some of us can resonate with that, right? Like we think, like, man, like, I'm respected by people, but my family doesn't respect me. Like, people listen to me, like, at work, people hear me, they listen to my ideas, but my family doesn't, for some reason, they just don't hear me. You ever tried to, like, teach your parents something, and it's just, they just don't hear you? Or maybe you have a brother or a sister, and you're, you're trying to explain things to them and talk to them, and they just don't listen. They don't hear you at all. I think some of us can be hurt because our family doesn't support us. I mean, Jesus can empathize with that. But here's the difference. Like, sometimes our family doesn't hear us because of, of, of they, they know us. They know our sins. They know our failings. They know our shortcomings. And so they're like, yeah, I know you're saying that, but I know the real you. Or so they think, right? But here's the, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus' family is not dishonoring him, not, not listening to him because of anything he's done. Because they've taken offense to what he's saying. So maybe you're in here today, and you're just like, you're excited about Jesus, like you are excited about church and the family of God, you want to come, you want to serve, and you want to live your life for Christ, and your family just doesn't get it. Maybe even your family's like, like a Christian, your family goes to church too, but you're getting so excited, like you, you realize that, that Christianity is more than just coming to church, more than just going to Sunday school, more than just um, open your Bible a couple times and, and, and saying some prayers for some things you want or feel like you need. But Christianity is more than that. It's just submitting your entire life to the headship of Christ. And your family just doesn't get that. Like, no, like, church is like the Sunday thing. Why do, you, why, do you do, why do you talk about this all the time? Why do you care about this so much? And your family just doesn't support you. Jesus recognizes that. 
Jesus experienced that same thing. So if your family thinks you're crazy for how much you love, how much you want to follow Jesus Christ, Jesus gets it. They don't, his family didn't support him. I think sometimes our family, they're the last people to see us for who we've become. They always see us for who we, we, who we were. But Jesus had no sin. We do. And they still didn't honor him. They still doubted him. But I, I don't want to overstate my case. Like, it would be hard to believe your brother is God. Like, we've got to remember that, right? Not to absolve them of their unbelief, but just to realize, like, man, like, believing your brother is God. Like, we, we, we get to see it a couple thousand years later and be like, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus was totally God. Like, that makes sense. But in the moment, like, your brother, like, Mary's like, man, I changed his diapers. I'm not sure about this. Like, that's weird, right? James grew up with Jesus, and, like, his unbelief is, is we can resonate with that. So I want to keep going here. John uh, chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Again, it'll be up here. And John, and John, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 2, uh, Jesus is with his family at a wedding, and they actually see Jesus perform a miracle. It's his first miracle. He turns water into wine. A bridegroom and his family, they messed up. They didn't bring enough wine to the party. They were about to be the laughing stock of Israel for a long time. Um, but Jesus saved him the embarrassment and turned water into wine. And his family saw that. So they saw Jesus do some pretty cool things. But then in chapter 7, cool, it's up there, 2 and through 5, it says this. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So this is, I don't want to get into too much what this is, but this is like a holiday. So think like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, like you kind of go home, you're with your family. So Jesus is with his family. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So it sounds like his brothers are supportive, right? Until that last little part. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So like, go. If you're, if you're doing these things this year, go show it to the world. And then it kind of adds, that John adds in this little thing, for not even his brothers yet believed in him. So this is kind of like a sarcastic thing his brothers are doing, right? Have you ever been in a disagreement with someone, you're trying to convince them of something, and they're just so not listening, you're just finally like, all right, fine, do it, you want to do it your way, do it your way, we'll see what happens. This is his brothers right now. They're saying, you want to go, do these things, go for it, go do it, and when you fail, we'll be here, we'll let you know we were right. That's his brothers here, for they did not believe in him. I think some of us can really resonate with Jesus. Some of us have hard families. Jesus had this devout Jewish religious family. But even a good, godly, devout religious family has moments of failure. They will disappoint you. They will discourage you. And oftentimes they will oppose you as you follow Christ. Jesus, it happened to Jesus. So if that's you, if you struggle with your family, if you want to live this thing out, and man, it's just not making sense to your family, like, you're in good company, like, you're with Christ in this, and it's okay, and so I want you to see this, so this is James, this is James, he doubted, he disbelieved, he dishonored, this is who James is up to this point, and then Jesus does his ministry for three years, and then Jesus is killed, and Jesus is killed, why? Because he claimed to be God, 
We have to understand, this is why Jesus was killed, because he made the claim that I am God. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah you've been waiting for, and that Messiah is God in the flesh. This is why Jesus was killed. This is why the religious people opposed him. This is why his family disbelieved him, because he claimed to be God. And so he was arrested. He was tried. People made lies about him to even try and give more incriminating evidence. And he was killed. He was murdered for the claim, I am God. We just celebrate Easter, right? We know, we know the story. Three days later, on Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. For the, because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And Jesus, who had no sin, died. So death couldn't hold him. He had no sin to keep him in that grave. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and he appears to some people. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul explains to us a little bit about who he appeared to. First Corinthians five seven. It says this. Second Corinthians five seven, maybe? Fifteen seven. Oh, it, it says fifteen. I just misread it. I'm so sorry, guys. Fifteen seven. So Paul's making this case about the resurrection of Christ. He talks about how he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. And then in verse 7 it says, Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. So Jesus appears to his brother James. Like, just, like this is a real story, so we've got to imagine how real this is. Like, imagine you're James, your brother, you grew up with him, he claims he's God, he does all this stuff, and you're kind of sarcastic with him, you disbelieve him, you dishonor him, you doubt him. And then you watch, you see that he dies. And then he, what, he knocks on your door? <laughs> and you open it, and there's your brother. The one you grew up, the one who claimed to be God, the one who claimed to be king. He's there in the flesh, alive again. And this is the turning point for James. We see that James, there's no evidence that James believed anything before this, but here we have James. He sees the risen Lord, and he believes and he becomes a leader of the church. Acts, Acts um, chapter 1. I'm pretty sure I got it right this time. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. This is the very beginning of the church. Jesus just ascended into heaven. The church is gathered, waiting for the promise of Christ to come true, that he would send his spirit. And in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 14 says this. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And Jesus, James is there. He's with the early church. He, he's seen the risen Lord. He's seen his brother come back from the dead. He's gathered with the church in one accord, devoting himself to prayer, waiting for his promise to the Holy Spirit. So James is there. And, and this is a big deal because this is a good, religious, devout Jewish family. Like, they know the Old Testament, they were raised to follow God, and they know the Ten Commandments. And in the first commandment, there's one God. No other God but Him. And here they are, together with the church, worshiping His brother, Jesus Christ. 
Like, this is a big change for him. Like, this isn't like, like this is why, this is anecdotal, but man, this is incredible evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Like, James sees Jesus, his brother, risen from the dead, and now he starts to worship him. He changes his whole, his whole belief system to align with this guy, his brother, to worship him, to serve him. And, and if, if James, if this is all a lie and it's not true, history tells us that James died a martyr's death. That James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, his little brother, was taken up to the top of the temple, given the chance to recant, to say, it's a lie, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe he's God. He doesn't do it, and he's thrown off the temple down to the ground, and somehow he survives, so someone watching picks up a stick and just bashes his head in. Like, that's, that, that's the end of James's life that we know. Why would someone die for something they know is not true? That doesn't happen. We don't die, we die for, th we, people die all the time for things that aren't true, but they didn't know it wasn't true. They, they actually believe it's true. James was there. James would have known if, if this whole thing was a lie, but James, believing Jesus is the king, came, raised from the dead, gives his life to the cause, gives his life to the church. So James sees his brother risen. He goes, he becomes a, he becomes a follower. He's worshiping Jesus. He's praying. He's with the early church. He becomes a pastor and leader of the early church along with Jesus' brother Jude. So you have the letter from Jude as well. Jude is Jesus' little brother. And then in Acts 15, one of the most important meetings in church history happens. It's, it's this incredible meeting. Because he, here's what happens. is, is Jesus is doing his work in Judea, right? So Jesus is, is teaching, he's preaching mostly to Jewish people. And when, he's, when he dies and risen from the dead, it's Jewish people who believe. Peter preaches in Jerusalem. Jewish people are converted to Christianity, and they believe. And then there's this guy named Paul. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with Paul? We've read some of his letters. When we went through Colossians, we read a letter from Paul. Paul, I mean, he, he's a persecutor of the church. His name was Saul, and he, he literally had people murdered who worshipped Christ. Like, that was his job. He was, a, he was a, a, a terrorist. That's like the best way to describe him. Like, think ISIS. This is who Paul is. He's having Christians killed. He's on his way to Damascus with, with, with a letter to, to ensure more and more Christians are killed. And Jesus himself, this is after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus is seated, seated at the right hand of God the Father. He decides to come back to earth again to appear to Paul, who was Saul. He blinds him and says, Paul, why do you persecute me? And Paul realizes this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul becomes converted. He becomes a Christian. He becomes the most prolific missionary ever in existence. He brings the gospel out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, into the Gentile nation. Gentile is this, this word for um, non-Jewish people. So that's probably most of us in this room. Like Paul, like the gospel got to us because Paul went to other nations and brought the gospel. So what you have is you had all these Jewish believers really centered around Jerusalem. And now the gospel's going out to the nations. It's going to Europe. It's going to Asia. The gospel's going out. Paul's traveling with this guy named Barnabas. The gospel's going out to all these believers. And all these Gentiles are becoming Christians. It's this incredible story. 
But what happened is, is there started to be some questions. Okay, all these Gentiles are becoming Christians, which kind of Christianity came out of Judaism. And so they started asking questions like, hey, maybe you guys should get circumcised like Jewish people. Maybe you guys should get circumcised. Maybe you guys should stop eating ham sandwiches and bacon and all this stuff. Maybe you should follow these laws. And as you could imagine, probably mostly adult males are like, hold on, wait, um, are you guys, like, let's not make guesses at this. Like, let's, <laughs> let's be sure this is what needs to happen for us to follow Jesus. Like, if we're going to get circumcised, like, we'll do it. But if there's a different way, like, kind of like Jesus in the garden, like, God, if there's another way, like, let this cup pass from me. But if I have to, this is the Gentile believers. They're like, if there's another way besides circumcision, like, please let us. But um, if we have to, we'll do it. And so there's this meeting in Jerusalem. This is literally what the meeting's about. It's like, all these Gentiles are getting saved. And they have this meeting, they're like, okay, are, uh, can this happen? And if it can, what do we do? And this is the meeting. And so here's the thing I want you to see, is that Paul's traveling around preaching the gospel, and they have to have this meeting. And Paul comes to Jerusalem. And this is where we pick it up in verse 15. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 15. For some reason, I just can't do numbers today. Um, 15 verses 12, starting verse 12, says this. And so Paul's giving his account of what happened, and it says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So, so Paul and Barnabas, they're like kind of like sharing the report, right? So like they're missionaries, church in Jerusalem, is the, the church is spreading. Jerusalem is like the hub, like the mother church, okay? And they're planting these churches all over the world. And Paul's coming back, kind of like getting this performance review, having this meeting about the Gentiles, like, hey, tell us what's going on in your missionary journeys. Paul's sharing it, and the whole assembly falls silent. There is this dramatic pause. Who's going to speak up? Who's going to lead the church into this next age of, of are Gentiles going to be allowed to become Christians? And if they are, what are we going to do with them? Who's going to speak up? Who's going to lead? Verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. This is James, the brother of Jesus. James, the person who wrote this letter. James replies, brothers, listen to me. And then he goes on to teach the Old Testament and, and, and along with Peter, and along with Paul, and along with Barnabas, he leads the church into this new phase of Gentiles are coming in. Gentiles are allowed, and we're not going to make them do the, do the Old Testament laws because Jesus came to fulfill the laws. We're going to welcome them in as family of God because of Jesus. Not because of what they do, but because of the gospel. We're going to welcome them in. And James helps to lead this charge. And the reason why I think this is important for us is because Paul— this is a dude with unbelievable power, both physically and spiritually. Like, this is a guy who walked in a power that we don't understand. Like, people, like, touched his napkins and they got healed, right? He told people to stop being lame, and they just got up and walked. Like, this is the kind of guy Paul is, and Paul sits and listens to James. Paul comes to James. James didn't go to Paul somewhere in the mission field. Paul left the mission field and came to James. James is a guy with authority. James is a guy who's leading the early church. This is a guy who people are listening to. And we at the Grove, we, over the next three months, we're going to be digging into the letter of James. And I want us to see this. This is God's authority over us 
through James. And we're going to listen to James. We're going to hear from James. And there's going to be times we might not like what James has to say. Are we going to sit and listen to James like Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament? Or are we going to think, you know what, I know better than James. I know better than God. I'm going to do things my own way. So I want us to submit to the authority of James like Paul did. I want us to submit to the authority of Scripture, the authority of God. God wrote James through James, and we should submit to it. He's going to ask us to do a lot of things. James was written to a predominantly religious people. These people were super religious. They knew a lot about Christianity, a lot about religion, but they weren't doing anything with it. They just had a lot of head knowledge. Does that describe anywhere you guys can think of in the world today? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little lonely up here. Does that describe any, anywhere? You guys, are you following me here? Like they have this head knowledge. They like know all this stuff. So James wants to take their belief and change it into behavior. They want to take their conviction and change it into action. James wants to see these people actually walk out what they know. I think so many times in church today, we're so busy like just trying to learn, 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 learn. We never do anything. We, we, like we're studying the playbook and we never run any plays. And so this is James. He's, he's coming out here and he's saying like, hey, look, you guys know this stuff. You believe this stuff. Go do it. I'm going to give you some practical advice how to do it. Look, for the first three years at the Grove, we have been just trying to teach you guys the gospel and teach you guys the gospel. And we're going to see the gospel. In we're not leaving the gospel. But I want to challenge us at the Grove like James challenged the early church. Let's take the gospel and let's make sure it's transforming us, not just informing us. Let's make sure it's actually changing who we are. The gospel informs and then it transforms. And that has to be the pattern of our lives. So we're going to submit to James just like Paul did. And Paul will continue to submit to James. In, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Paul says he, 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 goes, um, he goes to Jerusalem. He meets with Peter and he meets with James. In chapter 2, he'll actually call James he calls James, Peter, and John the pillars. They're the pillars. It'll say Cephas in Galatians chapter 2, but that's, that's, that's Peter's name. He calls them pillars. Like, pillars hold things up, right? Like, they keep the foundation for what's going on here. Paul's going to call James, the brother of Jesus, a pillar. And so... Paul gets this, even before that, that meeting in Acts 15, Paul gets this um, thing from Jesus, this, the gospel from Jesus. He's converted, he's changed. Jesus tells him to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter, Peter's handling the Jewish people. You go and handle the preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul goes to James, he goes to Peter, and even though Jesus told him what to do, he goes and he submits the authority that Jesus has placed over, them, over him and Paul and uh, over Paul through Peter and James. God uses his word and he uses his people as authority in our lives. When I, when I began to plant the Grove Church, I didn't just do it alone. I know it may seem like we're alone, but man, when I, when I had this heart and this desire to plant the Grove, I went to two pastors and was like, hey, here's some things that I, here's what I want to do. Here's my vision. Here's what I want to do. Like, I feel like the Lord's leading me to do this. What do you guys think? They're like, man, we, we think the Lord's leading that too. And so I submitted to that authority, and even just a few weeks ago, like, the whole reason we're doing the Acts 29 thing, I mean, there's so many reasons why I want to join the church planning network of Acts 29. 
But part of that is we went to this assessment, and me and Margie agree, like, we're going to submit to the authority of these brothers and these sisters. We're going to tell them what the Lord has done. We're going to tell them our desires. We're going to tell them what the Lord's doing here, and we're going to submit to them, and, and they're going to plot, a, they're going to help us plot a path forward for us, a healthy pl- path forward, and we're going to submit to that. Like, we're all, we all have to submit to authority. We, we live in an age where we don't want to submit to authority. We, we don't like authority. And we're taught not to like authority. But if Paul submits to the authority of Christ and the authority of Peter and James, we see that as a pattern, and we do that. I do it. The church submits to the authority of its elders, and we're working to establish elder, elders, and I, as the pastor and elder of the Grove Church, submits to the authority of these other men. And, that, and that's the way it should be. And this is good, and this is healthy, and this is right. And we see that pattern here. So James has the nickname Pillar. History also, tell, also tells us he has two other nicknames. History would tell us that he's also called James the Just. It's a sweet nickname, right? I'm kind of mad that my name's Zach. Like, there's nothing cool that starts with a Z after that. Like, Zach the Zebra, Zach the Zipper. Like, there's just nothing cool. But he's got James the Just. He's also got another nickname, which takes some explaining. It's called Camel Knees, uh, which that seems weird. Like, but the idea is that James was such a man of prayer that he was always on his knees. And that created the, these Camel Knees, this rough knees, because he's always in prayer. So James leads the early church. He's a pillar of the early church. He sits in Jerusalem and cares for the church around the world from Jerusalem. And when there needs to be a meeting, people come to him. This is who we're reading from. Like, this is awesome. This is Jesus' brother. History tells us he was, he was martyred. We talked about that. He was killed. And he has the successor. History, this is all history. This is in the Bible. But he has a successor. And history tells us his successor, whom he probably chose, was another one of Jesus' brothers. Like, what a family, right? Like, that's awesome. That's what I'm praying for, for our family. One of G- another of Jesus' brothers takes over for James. And this is, this is the man we're writing from. And I think we can, we can relate to Jesus in the fact that he had a tough family at first. And we can relate to James as our own story. There's a time where we disbelieve or dishonored or doubted Jesus. And Jesus is patient. He's loving. He's caring. And he appears to us. He comes to us. We, he, he comes to us. And we come to him. And this is, the, this is the gospel that he allows us to come to him. And so he appeared to James in order that James might believe. So maybe we have a tough family, maybe we, we have a hard family, it's just hard for us. And he, here's the last thing I want to close with. There's, there's two things we'll do here. I, wanna, I personally want to close with Mark 3, 35. So if you have your Bibles, we'll turn there, but it's also going to be on the screen. So Mark 3, I know we're flipping all over, this is unusual for us. But Mark 3, verse 35 says this. It says, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus welcomes, welcomes us into a new family. That's incredible news. If we, he says, if you do what I say, then you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my mother. Like, ladies, how cool is it to have Jesus as an older brother. 
Maybe you never had an older brother. Maybe you did, and they just didn't care for you the way they, they, you thought they should. But Jesus is like, I'll be your brother. You'll be my sister. Or be like Jesus' mom, who he loved so much that on his, one of his last dying breaths, he made sure she was taken care of. So you may not have been born into the family of God, but Jesus says you can be born again into his family. Follow him. We, we believe and we repent and we come to Jesus. And, and, and men, Jesus invites you to follow him and be his brother, to obey him, to follow him, to turn from your life and, and to make your life about him and be his brother. And, and James is going to help us do that. James has a lot of action words. Do this, do this, do that. Be like this, don't do this. And Jesus is gonna help us, James is going to help us follow his older brother. I think some of us sometimes we feel like, man, like I just don't feel close to Christ. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to Jesus. We have this feeling we just don't feel close. Maybe we don't feel close because we're not obeying him. Because Jesus said, whoever does the will of God is, like, is my brother, my sister, and my mother. I don't want you to hear me say you have to do stuff to be, God, to be in God's family. That's, we know that's not true. But maybe it's not that God is far from us. Maybe we're out of sync with him. And we're just living life our own way. We're trying to do what we want to do. Instead of submitting to his authority and feeling that closeness that we get as a brother and feeling that closeness we get as a sister or a mother, we, we're just doing our own thing. We're doing things our own way. And so the challenge and the, the reason why I want to go through James is that we might be challenged to obey Christ, to follow him. And as we draw near, we'll learn this in James, as we draw near to him, he also will draw near to us. And so let's submit to James. Let's become part of the family of God through the gospel. And we'll have a chance to respond to this in a second. Um, but may, may, maybe you're just even in here and you're, you're not sure if you believe. You're not sure I believe about these things. And you're like, maybe you're like early on, on in, in James's life. You're not sure what you believe about Jesus. He's not really Lord of your life. And the invitation is to come to him. It's to come to Christ and follow him. Believe the gospel. Believe that he died for your sins. He lived that perfect life that you could never live. He died the death that you should have died. But the death couldn't hold him, and he rose again to give the gift we could never earn. And that's the gospel, is that he gives us the gift of eternal life that starts now. Starts when, as soon as we believe is when eternal life starts. It doesn't start when we die. Sometimes I think we, we're just waiting until we die so we can go to heaven, but eternal life happens the moment we believe. We have that life, because Christ came to bring life and bring it abundantly. So we believe and we repent, we follow him, and we're his brother, we're his sister, his mother. It's an incredible invitation. So James writes this letter to religious people who know, but they don't do, who have been informed, but not transformed. And here's how they would have received it. He sent this letter out to the church. They've been dispersed because of persecution. So he sends this letter out to them. They would have received it, and they would have read it together. They wouldn't read it like one verse at a time and be like, man, that was a really good verse. Let's pick this up next week. Right, like who reads letters like that? Anyone read letters like that? You get a letter from a friend, you're like, you get like a, we don't really get letters that much because no one knows how many stamps you're supposed to put on a letter anymore. It's really confusing. Um, I don't mail anything. But they, you get a birthday card from someone, right? You, oh, like what if you just read the front like, 
happy birthday. Man, that's such a good card. Let's read more of this later. And you put it under your pillow, you know. That's not how we read cards. We read the entire thing, right? Do you guys read anything? I don't understand. You guys read stuff? Okay, cool. You guys, I know we're not like, again, like I know we're not super charismatic, but you guys can say some things when I ask questions if you want to. It's up to you. I'll leave it up to you guys. But it would be super helpful for me not to feel super insecure. Maybe I just need to believe the gospel. I don't know. But they would read the, thank you. It's too late. It's too late. Um, the moment's passed. It's just, yeah, so the moment's passed. But they would read the entire thing. So here's what I want to do. And I promise you it's going to be okay. Uh, in a second, Holly's going to come up here, and we're just going to read through the book of James together. Um, it's only 108 verses. We've done like 35 at one time. We're not going to stand, so calm down. We're going to be seated. Um, but we're going to read through the entire book of James like the early church would have. They would have got the letter. They would have gathered. Man, man we, we, dude, we got, we got a letter from James. Let, let's, everyone would be super excited to hear what their leader would have to say to them. And so we're going to do that together today. Um, Holly's going to come up here, um, and she's going to read for us. She's going to come up here right now. Yeah, I'll keep saying it until you come up here. She's going to come up here. I was trying to be sly, but it didn't work. It's my fault. I wasn't clear. Uh, she's going to come up here. She's going to read James for us. We're just going to listen and let it sink in. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. It'll be up here. Um, read along. I know, I know you guys can do this. I see people on their phones for longer than it's going to take us to, uh, to read this, so I promise you we can do this together. Um, and so, so Holly's going to read for us. I'm going to get her this microphone so um, podcasters and Facebook can hear the words as well. Um, but in just a second, she'll read for us. And, um, and then we'll, we'll have a chance to respond through singing and the Lord's Supper. Um, and so Holly will read. The band will come up. We will sing together. We will worship the Lord together uh, in response to his word. And if you're a Christian, you want to come up and you want to eat um, of the bread and drink of the wine or the juice to remember the gospel and to celebrate the gospel, you're, you are free to do so. If you're a member of the Grove or um, a supporter of the Grove and, and, and you want to worship through your generosity and your sacrificial giving, you can do so as well in the bar. It's up here. Um, but we'll read and then we'll respond with um, congregational song and worship. servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes under this person, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself self unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that, saith, that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. 
Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is in mighty with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, to, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the lord is at hand do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged behold the judge is standing at the door and as an example of suffering and patience brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the lord behold we consider those blessed who remain steadfast you have heard of the steadfastness of job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As the band comes up to lead us, um, I just want to uh, close us in prayer, and then we'll sing um, and celebrate with the Lord's Supper. Father God, I thank you so much for, uh, for your word, Lord, that we can kind of just step in and, and see the, the early life of Jesus and, and his ministry and in his relationship with his family, Lord, and that might encourage us in 2019. Um, and as we go through this book of James, Lord, I pray that we would submit to it and submit to you through your word, the authority that you gave James um, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just work in us. I pray that the gospel um, would save us and transform us, that we might be uh, the people and part of the kingdom of God, um, and that your kingdom might spread across Spruce Pine, Mitchell County, and Yancey County, and the surrounding areas, Lord, that we might, um, people might, uh, marriages could be restored, and um, kids can, can come to know you, and families can come to know you, and um, Lord, that we would just do your work amongst your people uh, for your glory and our joy and in our own lives. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.